0: okay i think we are all working let's just double check this i think so yep all working wonderful okay so um hello everyone welcome to another episode of chatter today i am here with gavin o'toole freelance journalist gavin welcome to the show thank you very much for having me yeah, not a problem. It's uh, it's a pleasure to to be able to chat to you. Um, yeah. So I've I've been uh following you on LinkedIn for a while and really enjoyed your stuff. And I felt you would be a good person to have on the show and, and sort of talk through some of the stuff we're seeing in British politics at the minute. Um, what I perceive to be at least um a rising authoritarianism within the Conservative Party. So, um, and I'm sure we'll get into plenty of other things as well. But, uh, so yeah, just just to start with, like, what is what is your sense of of how, how like authoritarian as such the the leadership were the, the the top of the conservative party are because i see this allegation thrown around all the time and i see it thrown around by people who throw around the word fascist in a way that is is not really useful, I think. Um, so I, I'm always like, okay, maybe maybe they're authoritarians, maybe they're just wannabes. Like, I, and I, I struggle to like get a sense of, of where they lie on that kind of spectrum. Like, what is your your understanding of that, or your thoughts?
1: Okay, um, I mean, I come from a, I suppose, obviously, uh, I, I'm older, and I come from a generation, you know, that that can can look back at previous Tory incarnations. And I have to say, so I lived through the Thatcher years. <laughs> people are obviously pointing out a growing authoritarianism, but it doesn't look very different from where I'm standing to what we were experiencing then. Um, and so we're getting all the same mood music. For example, um, I know Pretty Patel um, is a big fan of the death penalty. Mm. Well, the death penalty, just take that as a, as a kind of uh, emblematic um, Tory principle um, that you murder someone um, who you think and think being a very important word here um, has murdered someone else um you know this has been around since the dawn of time this is kind of one of their signature um, mantras this, this kind of macho tough um you know retribution um, uh, against people who commit um, heinous crimes um so, and it hasn't come back, you know, we're still in a position where there's absolutely no debate uh, on returning the death penalty, um, even though it's a favourite um, sort of, um, y- you know, Tory jingle. Um, what else have we got? I mean, we've we we, we we've got lots of um, sort of anti-immigrant positions. We've got basically covert Islamophobia. But quite frankly, they've always been the case. In the 1970s, the debate about immigrants was very much kind of defined by... Tory positions. And, you know, there are lots of slogans that um, probably emanated within the Tory party. If you look at your local, your average Conservative councillor in any kind of suburban area of Britain, um, they're pretty vile. The, the opinions that they hold when you prop them up against the bar are, are really, frankly, quite vile. Um, but they're, they're not new. And, and so at the end of the day, I'll be honest with you, my feeling is that they are no more or less authoritarian in terms of their reflexes um, than, than any previous um, Conservative Party sort of manifestation, if that's the, if that's the right word. Mm. Um, but I think what we really need to do, um, to be honest, is not so much to talk about their kind of Tory reflexes and their, you know, their knee-jerk reactions, which are always going to be very predictable. We need to look at what they're actually doing so the, the kind of policies or the proposals that this particular government have. And I, if you do that, um, it, it is quite a different picture, because I think we're, we're looking across the board at um, a raft of really quite extreme um, policies and proposals in, in a whole set of areas um, that um, do suggest that, yeah, we, we're, we're actually experiencing a, an authoritarian moment.
0: Mm. So you're saying basically that they have always held the beliefs and desires and opinions that the current party basically does. But the the issue here is that a lot of these sort of maybe, I don't know, ideas that would not have been put forward or would have been, not had the support for it, or I don't know, maybe they felt they couldn't get away with it in the past, that now we're seeing what they always would have done if they were able to get away with it, basically.
1: Yes. Yes, in a word. I mean, basically, they've got this thumping majority, um, even though they're under, you know, they're under pressure tonight. In general, they're clearly not under pressure. They've got a thumping majority. They could do what they like. And so a lot of these policies, these ideas are just, you know, reliving. Uh, I mean, they're specific policies, so they can't come from a previous era, but they're reliving the, the, the principles of the philosophies of, you know, their great heroine, Margaret Thatcher. Um, and she was, the, she was the, remember, she was the turn to the right in post-war conservatism. She was the, basically the figure that wanted to end, um, what do they call it? One-Nation conservatism mm-hmm. and wanted to instill a new kind of neoliberal, right-wing, pro-Pinochet. Yeah. Um, and fascism, I know it's an often misused term, but it is a form of fascism. Um, it's kind of misuse of the authority of the state to impose really restrictive um authoritarian policies that is a form of fascism so um this what they do is they're harking back to those principles but they've got their own specific bunch of policies um you know to do with the current um agenda and i'm gonna if you don't mind josh i want to run through what they're doing in in various areas yeah is, please is okay? i mean i
0: i also have a list um so go on well you you tell me your list Okay, well, I mean, this is this is just um, this is from a piece that I wrote uh, a, a couple of months ago. It was called um, "So You Think the Government Are Fascists? Why Give Them More Power?" Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I nice got one. It. Well, I, it's just because people people were throwing around this term "fascist," and and like the the thing that confuses me is that the people who will turn turn around and call them fascist will then like selectively be like, "Oh, it's authoritarian fascism," and then when they do things that are actually really really terrifying their silence, like the their treatment of Julian Assange, like the, the journalists who are screaming about fascism don't care about about like him being locked up for nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. but anyway, so here was yeah, a brief uh rundown that I had. So they've been finding contempt of parliament. Numerous cabinet members have broken the law and the mysterial code and remained in their position. They refused to give uh, Parliament the Brexit impact papers and ran, ran through numerous beg- Brexit bills without adequate debate and scrutiny. They have allowed a shady group of neoliberal right-wing think tanks and lobby groups centred around Tufton Street to have outsized access to government ministers and influence policy, things like free ports um, that come straight out the Tufton Street playbook. They prorogued Parliament in order to stop debate. They lied to the Queen about it and then considered doing it again. They floated their own COVID guidance rules. They used uh, the... This crisis to hand out millions and millions and millions of pounds to their their friends and donors, um, like I mean, the, it, it yeah the, the list continues, but um, that's that's some of, some of the things at least anyway that I made note of.
1: Yeah, and and all of those things, so everything you've you've kind of identified there um, correctly, it it, it, it ha- has a sort of underlying theme, and the underlying theme is they have impunity; they will get away with twisting or distorting the normal rules of politics, according to their, you know, uh, needs, their corrupt needs in in, in many cases, um, um, you know, without any parliamentary sort of oversight or parliamentary intervention or without the normal institutional checks and balances that you would associate perhaps with democracy in general. But I suppose you should associate with Britain, although I think, you know, we're well past that in this country. I mean, the way I, I, I'm going to go through my list now, if you don't mind. The way I broke this down was according to three, was it one, two, three? Yeah, three areas um, where where there's there's increasing evidence right now that those instincts that we regard as authoritarian but were always there in the Conservative Party are now being translated into policy um, because of that thumping majority and also because of their, as you point out, their kind of corrupt... Um, disregard for normal checks and balances. So the first one is to do with institutions. So institutions are under attack. They're under authoritarian attack. They are attacking what we might regard as the institutions of a mature democracy. So so a good example is the BBC. Mm. Um, You know, they, they have... Uh, twisted and distorted BBC coverage in all kinds of ways, first of all, by leveraging in their own favoured journalists or relying on supportive journalists. I'm not going to name names because I'll get sued, but there are clearly a number of leading journalists who report for the BBC who are, um, you know, doing the dirty work. Um, so the BBC Director General, Tim Davey, he's the former Tory councillor, uh, and the new chairman of the BBC, Richard Sharp, is a former Tory donor. Um, they're all they're all regarded as important characters, you know, to the Conservatives. Um, the guy they tried, obviously, it, it didn't happen because he got fed up and walked away in a hissy fit. But they tried to to um, shoehorn Dacre into the regulator. Mm. So they are basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to, as all right wingers do, they're trying to. Um, Gag the media. They're trying to prevent liberal journalism within uh, within established national media institutions, which means the kind of thing you do and and, and the role of smaller websites is absolutely critical. Because if the BBC can't speak out, if if they can't report with, you know, um, objectivity and impartiality, um, it falls to little people to do it. Um, And and that's why you need to build a following. So that's one institution. Other institutions they're having a go at. um, Oh, this is a good one. Uh, Also to do with freedom of speech. They're trying to I don't know how they they, they want to introduce legislation that allow people um, who Universities want to prevent from speaking. So these far right, you know, demagogues that come from all over the world, particularly America, um, they they will have a right to speak. Universities will no longer, student unions will no longer be able to block them. Hmm. So they basically, this could see far right nationalists, um, Holocaust deniers, for example, being able to speak by law, and if they're prevented, to sue universities. Okay. Um, it, this is a very problematic um, issue because honestly, universities shouldn't be, become, um, uh, you know, forums for uh, that kind of um, hate, hate speech. The judiciary, they want to protect the judiciary, they they say they want to to protect the judiciary um, from being drawn into political matters. Basically, what that means is they want to prevent judicial review in cases that they disagree with. Um, And so, um, you know, um, I I mean, I have to say uh, there are, for example, to do with Northern Ireland, examples of this, where there are, you know, judicial decisions on Northern Ireland that, that the government doesn't like and therefore wants to be able to prevent. Um, So that's one area, institutions. There are institutions that we associate with checks and balances are under attack. Secondly, political process, the procedures by which we manage our democracy are under attack. Now you yourself have referred in your list to many of those procedures. You've referred to the, the parliamentary procedures, the way they've lied, the way they prorogued the way they've, you know, tried to, um, what's the word, distort the legislative process in, in a very anti-democratic way, um, without proper scrutiny. I mean, more more recent examples are the boundary changes that they're trying to bring in, which will simply uh, and uh, uh, and and kind of quite blatantly. It's what's called filibustering. They're trying to redraw the, the boundaries so that um you know it's much more in favor of the Conservative Party. Mm. And their proposals will simply build in a conservative or Tory bias into the very act of voting. Um you'll be voting effectively with one and a half votes for a Tory and one vote for Labour, or one vote for anyone else, or half a vote for anyone else, depending on the seat. Um voter ID is another example of how they're trying to twist um the you know the, the the political process they want to roll out this everyone in the world says this is not necessary mm. everyone in the world all the experts say this will actually <laughs> prevent
0: minorities you know, little people oh am i ranting sorry am I, no am no I, I just i just wanted to pause there actually because I, I i hear this discussion about voter id made all the time and it's like to me it's the biggest non-issue on the planet it's the biggest like distraction like you know, people like throw around this like culture war idea and like it's just the literal perfect policy. In Northern Ireland, we get sent a voter card with our like um before the elections. And that is acceptable to take with you to the to the polls. It would be really super duper 100 million percent easy to supply everyone with a card to say, this is who I am and send it to everyone who has registered to vote. And I, I have zero conception as to why people get dragged into this argument about whether or not voter ID is racist when you could just provide everyone with ID, it would solve all, it would shut the conservatives up completely and it would probably end up encouraging more people to vote if the because they it was very easy for them to get an an id then alongside it i i i i, I don't yeah continue with your thing but i just wanted to say no, no. That i think I... it's a, a an issue that just gets brought up um by by the tories especially in order to just like i don't know stir up hate and and distract people <laughs>
1: Well, I think they have a purpose and I think that the whole point is to disenfranchise certain groups, Mm. because if you have to have an ID, then obviously, you know, if you can't get it in time, you're not going to be able to vote. And the people least likely to get the ID, um, you know, in time to have a passport or a driving license are going to be the poor people. They're going to be uh, people of colour, people in working class estates who've never been abroad. You know, my grandmother never went abroad in her life. It's very possible that people don't have a passport. Yeah. You know, why would you need a passport if you're not going to go to France into your middle class chateau, you know, to drink all that wine that they've got lots of, which they can't sell in Britain anymore? I mean, it, it is voter suppression. That's what this is. So although in some ways, you know, it's, it's not a, a prominent issue, it's a really good example of how they... They create a kind of moral panic about voter impersonation, about fraud, when actually there is none. And in fact, the joke is, let me tell you, um, I've I've studied Mexico a lot and Mexico was notorious for voter fraud. And they had all they had level upon level, layer upon layer of voter ID, voter registration, voter rules, blah, 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 blah. um, And actually they completely
0: failed to prevent fraud. So voter ID they not doesn't. rig some of the machines in. They rig the machines. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> they rig the they rig the cards. They rig the, you know, even the voter impersonation is possible under under a sophisticated fraud. So, mm. it's very spurious for conservative argument, and they're doing it for a reason. The reason is like filibustering to rig. Is that no gerrymandering? What am I talking about? Gerrymandering, not filibustering. <laughs> gerrymandering to rig the political process. Um, so that's just another example. Shall I? I've got one more on my little list of three. Please. Right. The third area of, uh, of authoritarian um, manifestation under this, this, and we'll all be familiar with this. And this is pretty, this is the pretty Patel territory: uh, policing and justice. Basically, this kind of macho, strutting Tory speak about the death penalty, about t- sending these very frightening signals about how tough they're going to be with anyone who does anything. I mean. There are two bills in particular that are very, very worrying. So obviously everyone's talked a lot about the police crime sentencing and courts bill, Mm -hmm. which will uh, basically is the biggest threat to our right to protest in a generation. It will criminalise protesters who are annoying. And that means noisy. That means you can't protest because you can't protest and not be noisy. And at the same time, it will actually have a massive effect upon a community that matters a lot to me. The Traveller Roma community, um, This it seems like Priti Patel has actually, you know, written this bill with that community in mind because so many Tory councillors in places like, you know, Norfolk uh, are so unhappy about people in caravans with, you know, children with snot under their noses um, running around and and, and and sort of wild dogs. Um, so uh, that's that's one of the areas, but it is a clear attempt to suppress freedom of speech and to change ways of life that don't conform with that kind of, you know, what would you call it? Middle England conservative lifestyle um, of, of kind of, you know, manicuring your garden, and washing your car every fucking weekend. Um, right. The second bill, which is probably a little bit more disturbing, but is it's completely under the radar most people would not be interested is it's called the covert human intelligence oh sorry it's not a bill it's now an act The covert human human intelligence sources criminal conduct act um and this actually allows um state spooks agents of mi5 agents of mi6 all these secret agents but james bond wannabes (laughs) to break the law they are allowed to break the law in the service of their country so like you know what's his name um that actor, Craig, what's his face? You know, with big muscles. You know, they're allowed to go around beating people up, probably torturing them, certainly shooting them if it's you know in the national interest. Um, and also, actually, in a hidden, a little hidden corner of this um, bill is that they will be able to use children to spy on their parents. Uh,
0: and 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 this specifically Wait, has. In- hang on a second. Hold. Just, yeah. Just like hold yep. up. What, what do you mean they can use children to spy on their parents?
1: Children can be recruiters as as informants. By the by, the security services by law, if they have information under under that's incriminating about their terrorist, presumably Muslim parents. Yes, fact. Yes. So, oh, that's I a mean, little this, bit
0: 1984
1: in it. Oh, a little bit. I mean, come on, you know, this is just ridiculous. We, we're into the. We're really now, um, Josh, into the realms of loony right wing Tory outlanders who live in, you know, some. Um, unpronounceable village in the middle of Norfolk. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's those are two those are two bills and acts. These are actually legislation that's underway that they're, they're, there are other lots of other examples of this creeping authoritarianism. I mean pretty Patel's, you know, they were in the paper today. Pretty Patel's rules on immigrants are quite frankly hideous um they're quite frankly racist Uh, the rules
0: they want to strip the citizenship of or have the ability to strip the citizenship of i think like six million people am i right there
1: that's right that's right and then deport them i mean this is you know this what are we talking about here is this what does that remind you of
0: yeah and i like you know i i yeah i i hate to go there Um, but uh the because I don't like invoking that because it it just no of course um, because it it, yeah there's there's plenty there's many examples in which you can talk about segregated societies without invoking that but obviously that's the one that always springs to mind because I don't know what it was like when you were at school but when I was at school we did I did I did seven years of history in in yeah grammar school um and because we still have grammar schools here (laughs) um where we did at least anyway and um I think six of the seven we studied the Nazis, um, so it's it's and and you know it's the big one that we all study, and I think that's probably why it gets invoked most often. But um, this is right because this this is what concerns me um, is that we're watching all of these moves go through, and there's like what is what's happened to the opposition? <laughs> they're,
1: they're toothless. No, I think this is a really important point the point you're making is absolutely critically important because in a way, in a proper functioning democracy, none of this would be of much concern if you felt that you could use the system, um, use the existing institutions and, and procedures to kind of uh, mount a spirited defence against this kind of creeping up. Um, The trouble is it's happening in the context of what, to my mind at least, is a very limited democracy already. Um, we, You know, people people never think about this, but Britain is actually a very restricted democracy. A good example of that, for example, um, and, and Tories absolutely hate it when you bring this up, is, proportion, um, is uh, our voting system, first past mm. the post. Now, uh, that's a good example because they are actually, Pretty Patel is actually trying to roll back um, proportional representation or some form of proportional voting in um, local elections in this country, certainly in the, in the mayoralty of London, Um, that is, you know, we made some progress in getting. They want to roll back to um, first pass for post. First pass for post is the least democratic form of democracy imaginable. It's a kind of an anachronism in this day and age. Nowhere in the world, apart from the Anglosphere, uses it anymore. Hmm. You know, they don't use it in Scotland anymore But because, because they don't use it, but clearly don't use it in Northern Ireland because it's not, representative it's a way for a single party to keep its, its grubby fingernails you know um hold of power on, on power um without with, by paying lip service to democracy to my mind it's not democracy in this day and age that's not democracy um but that again is another you know um tory narrative um so uh, the other thing i'd say so we're doing these authoritarian sort of uh, um traits are developing in a context of a limited procedurally limited democracy anyway. But at the same time, there's a lot of evidence, if you look at the um, polls, of of a real decline in faith in democracy. Now, whether that's because of what the Conservatives are up to, or was happening anyway, would be a matter for academic study. But there are lots of statistics to suggest that British people are now growing a little bit disillusioned with democracy this is very very worrying is
0: that is that because that just doesn't work for us anymore and is that because like it's not democracy in the sense that we've been led to understand what it should mean i mean because like right this is my contention as well with this with the idea that capitalism is the problem in our society this is like no like we've allowed all our institutions to become horrendously corrupted like that's the problem for me and and that the, the, that to me seems to be the problem with like people's faith in democracy is that they can visibly see it's not working for them and i mean like it's not i i don't have the exact sort of data for for britain but i remember seeing this horrible horrible chart um it was like polling done by pew research over like 40 years in america and they were trying to like correlate um like a policy's popularity with its likelihood to be implemented and there was mm-hmm. none there was no correlation mm-hmm. whatsoever it didn't matter how mm-hmm. popular or unpopular something was it had no bearing on that policy passing in in uh, in congress and the only thing that had the influence um that they could identify was big money uh pushing whatever policies that they they felt whichever direction or whichever industry it happened to be um affecting and i think we're seeing the same thing here like the the policies that that people are putting together at least for this this current like government, or at least you could probably argue for. I mean, I would argue for forty years that that there's been very few people in Parliament who are interested in making the lives of the people of Britain sort of more broadly like better. Um, and that's, I think, where where people's like loss of faith in democracy has come from. Like, not know. What do you make of that assessment?
1: No, I you've nailed it. You first of all, there's lots of questions there. The first question is kind of um, a philosophical question what is the purpose of democracy why do people want to vote well they don't want to vote because it's a nice little trip out to the polling station on a on a Sunday morning you know um, and they can take the dog they want to vote because they want to improve their lives they want to vote for a reason they want better lives voting is a means of improving their lives and the lives of others right and then you mentioned earlier capitalism this is intrinsically fundamentally and historically associated with capitalism. The reason for that is when I have to bang on about Marx here and I'm very sorry, but <laughs> but when, when Karl Marx actually never used the word socialism, this is one of the biggest myths in history. He didn't refer to himself as a socialist. The only word he used that, that would possibly have currency today is communism. Um, but he, even then he didn't use it very often. Uh, and communism, to him, related to the government by a specific kind of movement or party. But but if you look at the history of socialist thought, what socialism really was, certainly in this country, was actually the struggle for democracy. So if you look at the early um, democratic movements, the Chartists, the Chartists in this country, that's the, that's the beginning of British socialism, um, were actually really... Their, their origins were in um, uh, extending the franchise, winning democracy for ordinary working people. Okay, and and that superimposed upon that was subsequent narratives and ideological debates, which which turned that into a form of socialism. But to my mind, they're in they're, they're absolutely the same thing. When you talk about socialism, what you're actually talking about is democracy. You're talking about extending. The, the the ability of ordinary working people to improve their lives by having a say on the way our money and our our institutions and our common patrimony um, is used that is what to my mind socialism is it's it's actually got nothing to do with Soviet Russia and you know um, um, was it Joseph Stalin and the Second world War it's it's about extending democracy so To my mind it is fundamentally related to capitalism and if people are losing faith in democracy it's because their democracy is not delivering what democracy is meant to deliver which is real change and improvement in their lives so yes they will turn to whoever's there to to, you know who might make a difference of course it's rational to do that but what we're actually talking about here is is a collapse of faith as you say in institutions in processes in democracy itself
0: mm. yeah and then like I, so like to to build on then what's what's going on at the minute and th- this is this is where i'm i'm really confused about um about the response from the labor party it was the 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 votes that are going on today about the the covid certification program and for me, it, it it falls into like the it falls into like several categories as to is like a like is it going to 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 like help reduce the spread of COVID, and that's like an, another issue. But for me, the thing that I think we're we're all like not focusing on is like just how this system could be abused by a government who has shown themselves to have no depths to which they will not stoop, basically. And I'm concerned that that a. It's it's a bad precedent to set for like for a government to have control over a system that will grant access to people from a centralized place that they set the criteria, and and I'm aware that that's not where it's at now, where it's it's simply to do with COVID. But like my my worry is like when we put this in place, and we allow a centralized authority to set the the terms by which you can. Say and change the terms by which you're allowed to enter society. And then you look at, like, what they're talking about doing with the policing bill and criminalising protest. Like, I don't think it's a far reach to suggest that unwanted behaviour would be a reason that this government could foreseeably want to use to say, well, you know, let's turn off their cert. Their cert. And that's why I'm, like, immensely opposed to it. And, and I just... I, I guess I wanted to, like, get your your take on whether you thought that was like something I should actually be concerned about and why maybe we haven't seen that actually talked about from from the the Labour Party, because it seems like something you could really hammer the the Tories on.
1: Okay. I, I mean, I think we have to be honest about the Labour Party's policy towards COVID. It is, it is kind of hummed and hard. It's been very... <laughs> Um it's been very unclear and it hasn't been coherent uh, from the very beginning yeah. um so I, I, and frankly i don't think that is very different to the labor party policy so far on a lot of things <laughs> um, do i agree with you on covid um the the, the kind of what would you call it the, 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 the i think i think where you're coming from is you're suggesting that the covid past debate is an example of a kind of growing COVID authoritarianism. Is is that what you're saying? Yeah,
0: essentially like my concern is that that it's now being like that the that this like emergency, which was like quite clearly an emergency um last last year. And for like I, I can't I can't sit here and pretend like I would have known what to do. Like there was a lot of people commenting over the last 18 months who were like, well, if I was in charge, it would all be fine. I'm always just like, "Mm," you know, this is to sit there and, and, you know, like actually have those decisions on your shoulders is, is difficult. Like, I don't know what I would have done, but now I think we're at a point where like awesome, the vaccines and the boosters seem to be working. We got like new drugs being approved in different parts of the world and trialed. And, and I think that they're now attempting to use this to distract from from their just the sheer level of corruption and to roll in a whole bunch of things that, that we really need to talk about, like the policing bill and the online harms right. bill and and things right. like that. You know, I just, that that's, that's, that's just my, it's just my perspective on it. Like again, I, again, I, I don't know what I, the right answer is, but.
1: I think that's the answer. I think, you see, I probably disagree with you when it comes to the COVID passes. I'm, I'm, I'm less, vexed, less exercised by the idea that you have to prove whether you've, frankly, to my mind, it's a distraction. But that's the point you're making. Maybe this is all a big distraction. Maybe this is really convenient, um, given the problems this government is facing to kind of try and reorient the turret back to something that we all understand and is very obvious and in our face. And I'd probably agree with that. Yes, I think you're right. I think it's actually they've done this before. They have a track record of using serious um, and problematic public issues to their own political advantage. They're almost certainly trying to do that. Will they get away with it? Probably. They'll get away with it because they have the press in their pocket. The Labour Party is frankly nowhere to be found. Um, But as an issue, personally, I have to say I'm just not that fussed about the whole showing whether you've got a vaccination thing. I'll tell you why, because I went to visit my daughter. My daughter lives in Berlin about a month and a half ago, and um, we had to show our Covid pass. We had to show it to go to the pub, for example. Um, And then they just took a note of it and you go, you know, I just it frankly. I wasn't that bothered about it, um, although they they clearly haven't got this right in Germany because it's you know it, it hasn't worked. I think maybe that's more important question, Josh. At the end of the day, will it work? And mm. it probably not.
0: Yeah, I mean there was that that debate was happening in the Northern Ireland Assembly last night about it, and um, yeah, again for me it's it, the question is will it work and why are they doing it? Um, like for with the about two weeks ago, do you remember what the media was talking about? We were talking like literally day and night about the second jobs and i was like thank thank you thank you thank you we are finally addressing this horrendous problem and then like boris johnson gets a whiff of this new variant and decides hey let's go hell for leather with it even though the people who discovered it are saying you know we don't need to like go crazy i know like obviously caution awesome give people their boosters yeah um, like, I don't know. I'm not saying that like it's not a, an issue, and this yeah, this is where it becomes difficult to talk about. Is like, as I'm not saying that there's there's not like reasons to be concerned, or you know that people might not get ill or, or any of these things. Is that I think yeah, I think he's using it as a dead cat basically to like throw <laughs> yeah, that. But you know, that's the Linton Crosby saying. You know, you, you know, throw a dead cat on the table, and right. no one yeah. else will talk about anything else. so that's just I mean again that's just just my my take on 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 what's Uh, happening
1: I think you're you're probably absolutely right on that Boris will they will all try and do this um I mean if 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 our job is anything it's to try and separate what they're intending to do from what will actually happen and will they get away with it I don't think they will get away with it not this time because no one the thing is no one believes what they do at all anymore this, the legitimacy of this government, certainly in terms of the spoken word, has collapsed. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no doubt about it. No one believes a single word that comes out of Boris's mouth. Um, and that is actually very problematic in a situation like this, because you know you can't, if, if, if you can't trust the bloody government, you, who are you going to trust? Uh, and that's really, and the scientists have said this, they've said this, this is a huge problem um, in terms of the way we move forward. Um, but, um, it's not going to stop them trying it, is it? They're desperate. They're kind of, it, you know, they have a saying, for example, in Mexico, the last kick of the drowning man. What we're witnessing is the last kick of a drowning man. He's drowning. I, you know, I mean, I'm going to stick my neck out a bit, but I, my prediction is that Boris won't be with us in three months time.
0: Um, maybe by St. Patrick's day, well, that'd be great. Wouldn't it? Good reason to drink. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. Like you see, right. This, this is then, this is another thing I wanted to speak to you about. Is this draws us nicely in here is that, who comes next? Because like they, I don't, I don't know. Like I don't know what the British public will be thinking about this. I don't know, maybe we're fine with a new prime minister every eighteen months, um. But it seems like so that, so we had David Cameron, then they knifed him in the back and they forced an election with Theresa May. Then they knifed her in the back and forced an election with uh, Boris Johnson. Now they're going to knife him in the back and like, t- I don't, I don't know how many times they can. I don't know remove the leader that the public have democratically approved within a year or two and then continue to have support and and who do you think comes next because like the the candidates are not looking like ones that i you know maybe 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 just because it's like because it's boris i don't see him as 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 anywhere near as as dangerous as as some of the other ones and maybe that's just maybe that's me perceiving it poorly but like yeah who do you think comes next
1: Okay, that's a really interesting question, because what what is the role in um, British politics of the prime minister or the leader of a party that's going to form a government? Um, The main role, believe it or not, I think personally is not policies. It's not even personality. It's recognition value, because you've got to accept that most people actually, sadly, know nothing about politics. They will vote for Uh, faces, recognition value, a few flecks of their understanding about someone's personality. And that is not to, that is definitely not to deride ordinary people. Why should ordinary people know in detail all about someone's policies or their personality or their whatever it may be? Now, so that brings us on to Boris. Why did they select Boris? Well, it was very obvious why they selected Boris. They didn't select Boris because of integrity They didn't select Boris because he was a particularly attractive human being. They selected Boris because everyone knew who Boris was. Boris was an election winner. And of course, he proved that. Okay, so you then apply that logic to who's going to take over after Boris, who's going to win. But the Tories are very, very cynical incredibly cynical they will choose someone the reason they voted boris was to get them into power and get them all to win their seats in the middle of norfolk right the reason they will choose his the reason they'll get rid of him is because he won't do that not next time round. so they need someone else who will do that so they will choose someone who will win them an election now who's it going to be right well who are the candidates rishi sunak liz truss michael gove uh, an Outrider, Jeremy Hunt from before, Sajid Javid, okay, Dominic Raab. That's it really. Mm. I can't see anyone else. Who of those is going to secure that recognition value without necessarily, you know, getting across the, the vile nature of conservative policies? Now your guess is as good as mine. Let's go through them. Rishi Sunak. Well, he's the front runner. Yeah. yeah he's the front runner. Maybe it's good. Um, I don't
0: know. I don't know if that flies. You know?
1: Did it, why doesn't it fly josh tell
0: me why because he's like uh, he's a multi multi-millionaire ma- married to the daughter of a billionaire and i i don't know i i i see him getting hammered for that i i just that's just my feeling but i mean maybe maybe not
1: no i agree i think i think he's he apparently he's the front runner for the bookies right mm.
0: also uh, close uh, your eyes next time he's speaking and you will hear tony blair
1: yeah yeah well he's he's very slick isn't he he's clearly modeled himself on blair Mm -hmm. and he wears suits very well and he's not got a fat belly like boris but the point is multi-billionaire chancellors chancellors don't generally do very well as prime ministers i mean look at gordon brown uh you know they don't translate very well people don't like chancellors very much because they're tight-fisted and they put up taxes or whatever mm-hmm. um so i doubt it but he'll certainly be in the running when the when the time comes mm-hmm. then we move to um liz truss apparently who's just behind rishi in the betting you know at the paddy power um now she's an interesting character she's very very right-wing okay she would really be the favorite of the tory right she's like She models herself on Thatcher. She even wears Thatcher clothes. Okay, so she's got the Thatcher school of fashion. Did you you see her in uh... the tank? (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, Look at that. Look at that. I mean, it's this kind of macho, you know, stick your breasts out moment, isn't it? For, you know, some woman politician who wants to be prime minister. Um, But I don't know. I mean, people don't really know who she is. She's still got a bit of a recognition problem, I would say. She's also an idiot. (laughs) yeah yeah but that's not why people will vote for her you see this is what i'm saying and i'm sorry to say that and it's not it really isn't to deride or demean ordinary voters but they'll what they'll be voting for is this recognition value who is she what does she stand for is she a good girl Mm. like boris was a good guy he's a laugh that man whatever that's how they'll vote it's Mm. not how you and i would vote but that i'm afraid is how most people will vote um you know um and you know when we are not to deride that because that's how ordinary people vote Ordinary being, you know, a terribly derisive term. I I apologize for using it. But that's how the average voter votes, the man or or the woman on the Clapham omnibus. Mm. Um, And I don't think she's got the recognition value. I think she just hasn't been around at that senior level enough for people to know her. So then we come to the third character. To my mind, my money's on Michael Gove. Not because I like the guy. I hate the guy. I think he's a hideous Machiavellian You know, I don't know what would you call it? Monster, but he's got the recognition value and he's really fecking clever. Okay. This man has been scheming since the last Tory election to become Prime Minister. Okay. He's got friends in high places. He keeps quiet when necessary. So have you noticed? Mm -hmm. Have you heard anything recently from Michael Gove? Not that's a sign. That's a clear sign that Michael Gove is plotting. Okay. Do you think Um, Dominic
0: Cummings is speaking to him? Probably,
1: I think he employed Dominic Cummings in the first place. They're big yes, pals.
0: He worked yeah. at the. He was uh, he was his attack dog at the right. at the education department.
1: Yeah, and that speaks volumes because yeah, he's almost certainly talking to him, and he's probably Dominic Cummings thinks how am I going to get back? Ah, <laughs> through Michael. But also, there's a very important reason why Michael goes the front runner or should be the front runner. Um, he's Murdoch's man. So Michael Gove, um... Um, who a former writer of the Times. He's Murdoch's favourite candidate. Murdoch loves him, don't you remember that famous interview? What was it? It was, uh, it was an interview with Gove about the last leadership election, I think, in some office somewhere. And in the background, it turned out there was sitting Rupert Murdoch. So um, you know, I think that that alone is a reason to suggest that Michael Gove will be the next prime minister. I'm, I'm certain he will. I put my mortgage on it. Mm. Okay. And then we've got Jeremy Hunt, who probably doesn't stand a chance, but he will definitely run when the time comes because he hates Boris with a vengeance. So this would be his way of, you know, kind of, I suppose, um, you know, bouncing back, but he, he can't win because he's, he's regarded as too um, wet by most of the conservative party. Um, even though he does have a good, record on health or at least he's got a background in health and that would be good at the at, the, at this mm. Omicron moment um I think poor old Sajid Sajid Javid would run I don't think he'd stand a chance but I think that this man is ever hopeful um uh, but he has the best
0: par stance <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's hot. that's seems- the only metric by which we should judge our leaders he's like how good is their par stance you know
1: <laughs> yeah 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 very good very good um and and but he he doesn't have a chance because he hates gove and he hates dominic cummings so he resigned if you recall he was he 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 resigned because of dominic cummings he Mm -hmm. refused a demand um from johnson and cummings but he dismissed his advisors that's why he resigned so he's the kind of comeback boy but he's he doesn't send a chance but i think he'll run though who's um dominic rubb you know what i don't think so i don't think people like or recognize dominic rubb they think he's slimy i don't think he's got a very good pr persona a press sort of media face people don't like him they look they they see just a snotty schoolboy. so i don't think he might run i doubt it i mean i don't think he stands a chance anyway so my money's on go
0: Mm, okay that's interesting i mean i would have Uh, my money would actually be on pretty patel um, okay because the right just absolutely love her like i i i they they love it they they, i i cannot explain why i mean well i could totally explain why it's the anti-immigrant thing that definitely helps um but that combined with i don't know just this like smirk about her of sort of like i'm better than you smirk <laughs> yeah. that, that i don't know seems to appeal to a lot of people because it makes a lot of other people angry and therefore they love the so do you know what i mean that i think they they get off on the the provocation or something because i'm not i'm not gonna lie i've definitely enjoyed like a trait in that of a politician i have liked that they rile people i dislike up do you know what i mean i've definitely felt that and that is definitely the the effect that she has um so i i think she'll be in the running um pretty heavily but i'm not sure how popular she actually is with the party um within like with the the parliamentary like was in the MPs basically i'm not sure how mm-hmm. popular she is mm-hmm. with them so i i don't know how uh, yeah i just i'm not sure how that would go
1: but it'd be very interesting if she threw her, her hat into the ring there'd be two women then mm. um and well let's see yeah. and know, i mean I they mean... they
0: could totally 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 play you know cuz can you imagine that that pretty patel is is the standing up there is like the first they will hammer the Labour Party for it. They were like, Oh, you're meant to be the party of like diversity and inclusion and all of these things and social justice, but yet why have you got a straight white man uh, who, sorry, like a who's a, a member of the aristocracy, you know, Sir Kier Starmer, yeah, running yeah. against us with the with our third potentially female prime minister, uh, who, who is a daughter of immigrants, you know, like who's Absolutely. the racists now? You know, Absolutely. that's that's what they'll hammer if they if they get pretty Patel, or at least that's that's why I think they would try and sell it.
1: Well, maybe they should, frankly. I mean, you know, that's a that's a very genuinely important point. Maybe Labour's, you know, diversity um record is not as good as it should be. And the Labour Party needs to think about that. You know, let's let's talk home truths here. Labour has been Labour does a lot of box ticking. I mean, I hope we can talk about Labour if you don't mind. Because yeah, I think yeah, let's, we're going to like, come let's on go to that. To that
0: now. Yeah, why not?
1: Yeah, uh, they do an awful lot of box ticking because they seem to be kind of focus group driven. They seem to be kind of so bureaucratized. They don't seem to be very, what's the word? They're very wooden. They don't seem to be very sort of human anymore. Do, do I? Is that me or do you get that?
0: No, I get that feeling as well. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like in comparison to. There's like, because you're holding up Keir Starmer as a, compared to, A, compared to Jeremy Corbyn, who was obviously very, very popular um, with the members, especially um, for obvious reasons. I mean, he was a real human. Um, and then uh, also Keir Starmer compared to to Boris Johnson on the other side of the aisle, you know. And this is something that I still struggle with is like, Boris Johnson is really funny. He's really quite amusing and it's terrifying that i still think that even though i'm totally aware of all of these awful things that he is overseeing right i still find him funny sometimes do you know what I, mm-hmm. do, do mm-hmm. you know what i mean like uh, i absolutely know what you mean this is
1: this is Keir Starmer's failure this is his problem he's dull there's no doubt about it you know i mean if you compare kiss put them both on a stand ask them both to deliver an after after dinner speech tell a joke make the audience laugh, make them feel good about themselves, make them feel good about our country. I know who's going to win hands down, you know. um, So Keir Starmer's failure in part is a kind of presentational failure, but also he just doesn't have it. And I I still believe that. I always felt he was dull. I always felt we'd get to this stage uh, where he'd struggle and just retain, hold and hope. His whole strategy, Josh, it seems to me, has been based on uh, the fall of the emperor, the 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 idea that Boris Johnson will fail and he will step in—that's his strategy. It, to my mind, it's not a strategy.
0: No, it's the Joe Biden strategy. Like this is literally what the Democrats did. They they picked the 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 person who was closest to a corpse, and they sat him in a basement. <laughs> no, but that's what they did. And now look yeah. what's happened. Like he's like the most. He's he's more hated than Trump was. Like this yes. bonkers to me. Yeah. Like the um but it's because he's they they picked him to be unoffensive and toe the the line that he needed to toe and and not have any charismatic virtues or you know passion or you know any sort of political capital where people would think well that's a good speaker you know I, and and the labor party are making all the same mistakes as the democrats and it's like it's yeah no it's
1: a bit like hollywood right when hollywood You know, you get all these independent filmmakers and these brilliant scriptwriters who come up with these really innovative, spirited, different original ideas, and they all funnel into Hollywood. And what comes out at the end is some kind of Spider-Man franchise, which they've made 15 times, with huge stars that everyone knows. The reason is, there's a really good reason for that, is that that's safe money. If you produce something with a huge star that everyone knows, and they know the storyline, and it's just better special effects... You're going to get your investment back. You're not going to lose your money. Okay, it's exactly the same with politics. The reason they went for Joe Biden is he was a safe pair of hands and everyone recognized him. The reason maybe you couldn't say the same of Keir Starmer because certainly no one recognized him, but he was certainly a safe pair of hands. The point is, that's not what we need. And that is not socialism. And it's certainly not what I understand the role of the Labour Party to be.
0: What would you what would you consider the role of the Labour Party to be then?
1: Well, socialists. It's a socialist party for working people. It was created by trade unions for working people. It should be. Now, who's that? Um, the woman who's just taken over your night. What's her name? Graham. Oh, uh,
0: um, uh, let's look this up. I,
1: I forget her name yet. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's just come in. She cut her money um, to Labour. I wouldn't say that's a, a fantastically. Sharon uh, Graham. Sharon Graham. Right. I have a lot of time for Sharon Graham. Look at what she's doing. I'll tell you why. Because she basically stood up and said, I'm wasting my money on you lot. I'm here for a reason. And my reason is to improve the lives of working people through my trade union. Now, that actually in a sentence is the history of the Labour Party. That's what the Labour Party was created for. To my mind, it's what it should be doing now. But is Labour talking about working people? When was the last time you heard the Labour Party talking about working people? The gig economy, absolute exploitation, shitty housing, a crap NHS, which is starved of money because rich people just go to private health. You know, um, what what, what else? Shit schools full of fucking drug traffickers. When was the last time you heard all this? You don't hear it because it's not, it's just not what the Labour right stands for. The Labour right stands for winning power, for power's sake. They do not stand for improving the lives of working people. No matter how much they say they do, they're lying. It's not true. Okay, they're they're a kind of bureaucratic anomaly and they just want power. And it's not about Parliament. This is about trade unions, the movement, improving the lives of working people, you know, and and in a sense, sometimes I feel to hell with Parliament, you know, the Parliamentary Labour Party is almost like a separate party. Does it represent working people? Which of those Labour MPs is actually working class, really, really working class, you know, a real working class person who has to uh, rely on payday loans, you know, and has got a a mother in a care home with dementia and can't afford to pay the bills, uh, whose husband has left her because he's a shit lorry driver you know and he can't stand being poor anymore and he wants to have some fun in germany you know how many people in the labor party actually reflect that reality of british society or i mean the labor parliamentary
0: party quite well half a dozen maybe yeah it's 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 awful it's really 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 awful um and i like so this 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 is the question that i've Actually, been wondering about for for a little while, and I'm kind of waiting because I see the I see these things happening where where you know the the Labour Party are betraying their base arguably, and but at the same at the same measure, the Conservative Party are also like weirdly betraying their base. So like so the the Labour Party, like, you've laid out why that is, but the the Conservative Party are uh, or at least what i understood them to stand for was like that sort of right-wing free market neoliberalism like freedom sort of i don't know quite a romanticized view of maybe they all think they're classical liberals but you know there's there's that sort of that faction of the party and and they seem to have just and th- that that part of the party was not really is is quite libertarian they're very anti big government and um they they're just being ignored at the minute, like completely ignored by by the party. I mean, like all of the moves um that are being made now are like completely antithetical to that kind of belief do you know um and mm-hmm, definitely, and so mm-hmm. i I like do, where are the new fucking parties like who do we vote for? <laughs>
1: okay, you know, this is a really important question, and I think it, it you know you you did you did mention earlier about. Should the left, does the left need a new party? Should the left form a new party? Now I've got, I'm a complete hypocrite because I've actually wavered on this. At some stage, I think I've I've said, yeah, we need to bloody withdraw from a Labour Party, mainly because I hate the right of the Labour Party. I think they're just such a parasitic tumour, you know, that is bleeding us dry. But I've I've wavered, um, Josh, and I, I think I've changed my mind. Okay. I'm, I was a member of the Labour Party. I'm not a member now. I left the Labour Party because of Starmer. I'm sorry. I was a Corbynista. I make no apologies for that. But I'm, I'm sorry I left. But Maybe I should rejoin. I don't know. But the point is, my answer to the question, does the left need a new party right now, is no. Now, that would seem a bit strange in the era of, Cor- uh, of um, Starmer and the ascendant right. But the reason I say that is just looking at the record. Um, basically, what it's kind of historical, I suppose. What is the Labour Party? Now, I, I did say earlier, it's actually a movement. It shouldn't be regarded just as a parliamentary party. The problem with the Labour movement is that the parliamentary party has occupied a disproportionately powerful position within it. And this is when Corbyn took over. He did change a lot of the rules for Labour Party to try and reverse that. You know, and some of those rules have subsequently been reversed by Starmer. That doesn't mean we can't go back to them and change them again. Um, Now, there have been, um, and and I understand their frustration, um, splinter movements, obviously. Mm. Um, You look, there was, I don't know if you recall in um, about 10 years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Um, Ken Loach, <laughs> the film director, but also he's a, a well-known activist, um, created a, a party. He created a party called Left Unity. He got so fed up with the Blairite-Brownite axis, he said, stop it, we're going to create a new party. Um, and he did. And it's called La- uh, Left Unity. Um, and what happened subsequently? They did get some members. People joined them as a party. Um, but in the first general election, they came along, um, the 2017 general election, they didn't run any candidates. They said, vote for Labour. Uh, and then in the 19 election, 2019 election, they didn't run any candidates. And they, so there's no point forming a separate party if you're just going to recommend that they vote for the Labour Party. So that was a, a Labour. And then on the right, there have been failed experiments. Um, The classic one was the SDP in the 1980s, um, probably a little bit before your time, forgive me. But that was a disaster. Um, Shirley Williams, I I saw something written about her recently. She's still sort of talked about. um, But basically, the SDP was a splinter group, Social Democrats who didn't like Michael Furt and the left of the Labour Party. At the time when militant, the militant tendency had kind of infiltrated and they split off and they subsequently evaporated. They disappeared into history. It's very, very hard to create a new party. There's lots of good organisational and procedural and financial reasons for that. It's very, very hard. Um, The most recent one was this. I don't know if you recall. In 2019, following the big divisions over Corbyn, uh, there was a, a, a splinter group called uh, Change UK. Mm-hmm. Ch- Ch- do you remember Chuka Umunna? Yes, um, I do. Those,
0: those bunch of absolute paid up shills that decided <laughs> yeah. they were going to change politics.
1: <laughs> yep. And what <laughs> happened to them? <laughs>
0: they got no votes. <laughs> Absolutely. They
1: completely disappeared. And it's this is the lesson. They're
0: all a bunch of baucus, like opinionless, like just pictures that have no ideas and no passion and are only there because they were rich and time um, time wealthy and, and party insiders. Yeah,
1: yeah, and narcissistic. And, and they're a really good lesson about why we don't need a new party. Well, but, but it can't be done. And you know what? It shouldn't be done. The job of the left is to win the arguments for change within the Labour movement. Okay? within the labor movement, okay, pure and simple. Um, and, and this is not a glamorous job. It's a difficult job um, and it's a slow job. It's a gradual job and people get very frustrated. They want things right now, but you can't have anything right now, not in a democratic society. Um, but you know what, within the wider movement, trade unions, um, you know, social movements, they're out there. They're doing really good work. Um, and you know we should be praising them. The trade union movement, for example, the Trade Union Congress, is the most fantastic organisation in this country. People are not aware of what they do. The level of solidarity that the TUC, for example, gives with oppressive regimes around the world, the trade unionists sort who of are fighting in the in the forefront of the fight against brutal, violent dictatorships, but it's coming from our trade union. It makes me, frankly, proud. The TUC is brilliant, and that is where our future lies. And I am absolutely of the old Labour school where the TUC should have a huge say in the role of the Labour Party. And thats it's no surprise, of course, but the right wing want to cut that back, to disenfranchise them, to gag them. But the Labour Party and the TUC, as far as I'm concerned, or the trade union movement, are synonymous. That's what the, that's what the Labour Party was. It was their voice in Parliament. The sooner the MPs in Parliament get that, the better. But we have to fight for it. So, no, I don't believe any more. Create a new party. I believe we should just work hard, brutally hard, in a very unglamorous way within the Labour movement to change it back to the way it should be, which is left, left, left.
0: Mm, That's interesting because I just, I am done with them. I I think that it's, we need new parties. I think we need many new parties. I think the old ones need to die because mm-hmm. they are they, they because it's one party in my mind the tories and the labor uh tories and uh, the tories and labor are are just melding into one neoliberal single party in the same way mm-hmm. that the democrats and the republicans in america are essentially one party like they, they they all fight and posture and then they all just okay the 750 billion pound like military uh military fucking yeah, funding bills, and you know they 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 stand in posture and then they do nothing. You know, all the mm-hmm. Democrats ran on Medicare for all. Um, you know, some sort of widespread universal health care in America, and that when it came to the time that they had the majorities and they could do it, like what did they do? Nothing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but I guess my
1: question, my yeah. question to you would be: Let's just have an alternative history. Let's assume that they hadn't destroyed Jeremy Corbyn in the way they had. Um,
0: well, I think would he would have you been prime minister. The, would you feel the same way? Um, oh, that's a good question. Mm, right. Hang on. Let me put my, myself in that world. I think I probably would because um, I would imagine that even if they won par, that the problem would be once Jeremy Corbyn got in, but he would have been constantly and repeatedly undermined by the right of the Labour Party and mm-hmm. whether we came mm-hmm. to the conclusion after he had become prime minister, which would have been wonderful. Um, but if we had come to that conclusion now when he lost because of the, 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 the way that he was treated by his party or the press, or maybe just cause the people of Britain, you know, didn't think uh, he was right for prime minister, but I'm not really sure that's true, but, um, yeah i think that eventually the fact that the party has become so corrupted by the parliamentary insiders and by the money that they sort of seem to be desperate for from donors instead of you know doing what the membership wants uh (laughs) the i just i think that the the, both of those institutions need need to clean house or they need to Mm -hmm. die and they're not going to clean house and therefore they have to die Mm mm-hmm Mm -hmm. that's just my feelings
1: i mean if you if you talk to right wingers in the labour party they say the problem with the labour party is the left they can't win you can never win an election with the left in power and if you talk to left wingers in the labour party they say the problem in the labour party is the right they kind of constantly chip away and undermine the true socialist policies well i know where i stand in that argument so my my response would be not how do we deal with the left but how do we deal with the right and um Jeremy Corbyn had it correct. He he got it right. The, the way to deal with them is to create um, mechanisms, and structures within the Labour Party that ensures that the right wing and the parliamentary party are kept in its place. I think you can do this. You can do this with institutions and procedures. The thing is, Um, you've got to get it right. And he clearly didn't get it right because they reversed a lot of it. So I kind of have some sympathy for your position. Um, I I guess we need to get to a position where that doesn't happen. I don't know. I have no answers. I don't know how that could ever happen. Hmm. Um, But I think the, the actual task in our current political process of creating a new party is literally so difficult as to be almost impossible
0: Hmm. I mean, so there's one guy here in the comments, actually, Matthew uh, Forrest has asked, he also said, he first says politics is Hollywood for ugly buggers, which like, (laughs) (laughs) amazing. Um, But he also asked, do you see a large number of independent MPs coming into the commons due to the lack of faith growing in both of the traditional parties? Do you think you'll see independents being elected in this uh, sort of next election, whenever that is, 2023 or before? Um, gosh, I haven't even thought of that. Uh, no, I
1: don't, actually, to be honest. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, people lack faith in, the, in in both parties. You know, there's no, I think that's what he's alluding to. And, yeah, and I'd agree with that. But that, that doesn't necessarily translate into them not voting for those parties. Because the thing about a party, a party isn't necessarily um, a set of ideas. It's a label. It's a kind of identity that people, when they come to vote, recognize. This kind of idea of political recognition is really fundamentally important in a democracy. You have to know these people. You have to know the party. People recognize Labour. They recognize Conservatives. It's no coincidence that these, these processes tend to have two very recognizable, ancient organizations. I think there's probably something in that. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but there is a huge... Um, premium in democratic politics or quasi-democratic politics, as I would have it, in recognition, political recognition. So the the trouble independents face, they have a huge task on the ground. First of all, they have to be recognised, and it's very, very difficult if if you don't have that label, Conservative or Labour, on the ground. Secondly, you don't have any access to funds. Thirdly, you don't have any access to um, people who are going to do on the hustings, workers from central office who are going to come down and put leaflets through your doors, it's really, really, really difficult to be an independent and to actually win an election. So only under very, very special circumstances would I say that succeeds and and that's usually when an MP has been so discredited and so disgraced. We had the Martin Bell, if you remember, the guy in the white suit but the point is, no, I I don't foresee a lot of independents flocking into parliament personally i may be wrong i hope i'm wrong but it would be quite a good thing but even so what kind of independence would they be you know some independents have crazy ideas i mean yeah we are we worried about what they think do we know what they stand for could these people be kind of what would you call it um wolves in sheep's clothing. i don't know
0: yes we'll see i mean i i just get the feeling that if we were to have, because we talked about first past the post there. So I feel like if we had PR, it would be that more parties would just sort of spring up through the sheer fact that people would feel credibly able to not throw their vote away. I think that's the main barrier to like a, a, a real, like a, because so if you look at, say, 2014, or 2015 even sorry and the the parliamentary elections when when UKIP for example whether they get like four or five million votes that would have translated into a whole bunch of seats and to me that would have been incredible for British politics to have a sudden new party like a undermining the Tories and and proving that you don't need to be labor or the conservatives to win some votes and have a swing in parliament and for me so for me like the biggest the biggest obstacle is is first past the post to a new party really
1: well i mean i totally agree but i mean how likely is it <laughs> that that's going to be changing if they did try yes. it, if you remember under i Lib
0: dems i have quizzed um people from makes vote make votes matter about this because they're like it's all good we're going to get the labor party on board and i'm like really they're not going to get on board like <laughs> you know what josh
1: if you want to change this and and make votes matter you should actually abandon everything and put all of its money and all of its efforts into stop funding hate stop funding hate um is is that group that you know, challenges the Daily Mail, it challenges right-wing journalism, it challenges the advertisers who put money into right-wing journalism, right-wing newspapers. If you ab- ab- broaden that campaign to a broad campaign against the right-wing press, you'd be able to solve a lot of these problems. But All of the problems we're talking about derive from the fact that this country does not have a free media. It has a media that is heavily, heavily dominated by right-wingers, a right-wing press, an establishment press, and that's why good ideas, but would be a benefit to ordinary people like PR, for example, never, never even get off the ground. Never. They don't even see the light of day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would love a, an actual classically liberal press. That would be awesome. Um, that would be the dream really. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, there we go. Unfortunately. So, um, Gavin for, for moving towards wrapping up here, um, what are your do you have any predictions for for the for 2022 perhaps in politics like do you think do you think boris will really go and what did you say march saint patrick's day do you really see that as being the most likely option
1: yeah i'm gonna stick my neck out i'm gonna say boris will be gone by march i can't see him surviving not because he might be able to engineer a slight rebound over christmas maybe he will but i think the guy is systemically flawed i think if he if he does engineer a rebound over christmas he'll only screw it up in january or february and he is so corrupt Mm. and so dishonest that there are literally hundreds of skeletons in his club i thought you were going to say children Um, (laughs) well (laughs) word on the street is that that may also be the case but i'm not going to say anything about that uh Listen, he's like Robert Baratheon
0: in Game of Thrones, you know.
1: He is. He's like Genghis (laughs) Khan. He's got so many bloody children, but no one knows. Anyway, we better not go there. But the point is, um, I, I don't see how he can survive because but the question at the end of the day is will he win them the next election? Now, if the Tory MPs, and I think we had the vote today, what do we have? We had a rebellion. 98 Conservative MPs voted against plans for mandatory COVID passes. That's a rebellion of 98. Mm. That's massive. Okay. now, uh, 63 voted against mandatory vaccination. Bloody blah. The point is, that's actually for a a ruling party with a majority of 100. That's a massive majority sort of undermining earthquake of a rebellion. The point being is that if he's going to face rebellions like that from now on, he's finished. Boris is finished. That's my prediction for 2022. Whether we'll get anything better, I don't know. I think we'll get better governance because I don't think anyone could be as bad <laughs> as <Scott> Boris. <laughs> uh, but, but but it's not the kind of governance I want because it'll still be right wing, loony right wing, you know, kind of Tory from a shire's mm. sort of fascism. But sorry to use the word fascism. But the point is, um, what else? What globally or just Britain? I can't just see Britain. anything else changing. I can't. Can you? What what do you what's your prediction?
0: I don't know I would predict That I just have this Sneaking feeling That they won't Like that they'll Posture about Removing him But they won't Like Theresa May Was doing things That were far more Unpopular with the Majority of the Conservative party Surrounding Brexit And she hung on For I don't know How many years Was it three and a half Three and a half Mm -hmm. years Yeah Mm -hmm. And she wasn't like anywhere near as personally popular as Boris is, and and I just I cannot see them removing him when he's like and I, I know that he's he he's a liar and a charla- charlatan, but he still seems to be a more of an electoral asset than any of the other <coughs> sorry any of the other possible candidates. That's yeah. just that's just what I think. I, I I just get the feeling that they may not remove him because of that, and I know that he's they're taking a hit at the minute in the polls but it's from what i can tell that's not going directly conservative to labor that's going conservative to um reform like the 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 new brand of the brexit party sure so that's where they're losing the votes to and i would believe that they think very strongly that they could win those back with the correct messaging So I don't yet. That's just my feeling is that they wouldn't Well, I I guess
1: what we need to do is wait until Thursday, isn't it? Because that's when we've got the Shropshire by-election and a lot depends on what happens there because that's, you know, a safe Tory seat. And if there is an upset there, I think that will basically answer the question Mm. because you can't... But we don't know. I mean, obviously, the Lib Dems are saying that the bookies are now putting money on a Lib Dem win. Um, That's also actually a good sign. But we don't know. The Lib Dems are saying nothing's guaranteed. Of course, they would say that, wouldn't they? Uh, people are very, very unhappy. I think Tory voters are very unhappy. To be honest with you, if that happens, 20, you see, 2022 is a crucial year because the election has to be in 2023. Effectively, it has to be in 2023. And you have to have a candidate, leading candidate, a, a party leader in place for at least a year before an election because of recognition value. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's in August, September, 2023. They need to have a new leader in place sort of by the middle of 2022, which means time is running out. Now, if they get hammered in this election and maybe there's another one and there's more scandals and maybe there's a little bit rebound or whatever, and then Labour starts unveiling some popular policies, You know, they've got a problem on their hands. That's a whole
0: different question. Well, that's a
1: whole different question. But the point is, they're going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to act. It's almost like they've got a window of opportunity. They can't leave it too long. Okay? Get Boris So, yeah. Roll
0: of the (laughs) dice time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we will see. Um, But anyway, um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Gavin, thank you very much for joining me. It's been uh, a really, really fun and uh, fascinating conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: No problem. Um, So yeah, thanks, everyone. We'll see you you next time. Pre-order my book, as usual. And uh, yeah, thank you.